Football is back, and right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football, with games being played nearly every day, and with Bet365's Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple's App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to the Going Up, Going Down podcast, the EFL podcast for The Athletic. My name is George Ellick and I'm joined on the line as ever by Ali Maxwell as we run through the biggest stories from the EFL this week. This time around, we're going to be speaking to Steve Maidley, the West Bromwich Albion writer for The Athletic, before running through all of the big stories from the midweek games in the Championship. Then down to League One, where we're joined by Oxford United manager Carl Robinson ahead of their playoff final at an empty Wembley against Wickham. And then one exclusive from Matt Slater as well this week on the five subs rule going to be five substitutes uh, into next season as well continuing from this and we're going to give our thoughts we also asked Carl about that as well so a jam-packed show for you absolutely George I can just picture you because I can't see you but I can picture steam coming out of your ears not just because it's a busy show today but also your team Oxford United are tooling up for a playoff final on Monday Um, we've had games every single day in the EFL since the 25th of June and looking at the calendar going forward certainly for the next three weeks or so I think it's going to be pretty much daily we've had the ridiculousness of a 3pm kickoff on a Wednesday afternoon Uh, this week as well so things are moving very very quickly but today's pod will hopefully get everyone caught up there's going to be times where we reference a few brilliant pieces on the athletic site like ollie Kay's opinion piece on wigan the owners and directors test uh, of obviously matt slater's exclusive as well and uh, and pieces from our efl reporters such as steve madeley and ryan conway if you're not a subscriber to the athletic you can be today and you'll get a 30-day free trial as well if you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFL pod, you will get that 30-day free trial to check out everything that the site has to offer, both EFL, Premier League, European football, American sports and more, theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFL pod for that 30-day free trial. So to begin our championship mid-week roundup where we will attempt to answer the questions what happened and what does it all mean, we're going to start by reviewing the well, what we felt was the biggest game of the midweek slate and that was West Brom hosting Derby. It, it was important both for the automatic promotion race, even more so after Brentford had won on Tuesday, and also for Derby's playoff tilt even more so after Cardiff had lost on Tuesday night so the Athletics West Brom reporter Steve Maidley joins us to talk through this one thanks for joining us Steve no problem 
so it felt like the big game of the midweek fixtures. And in the end, it was West Brom who came out victorious and comfortably so. First question for me, because I can't think of too many others. Do you think, having watched every game this season, this was up there with their best performance and result of the season? Well, without doubt, it was the best performance and the best result since the resumption. It's hard because the season's been going on for so long now. It's 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 hard to look back too too far. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you've got to put it up there with the best performance of the season, which 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 would probably be be Swansea at home just just for the sheer magnitude of, of that of that win, and then Millwall away because of the circumstances in Bristol, Bristol City away. I think would be would be the three pre lockdown that I that I would pick out. And yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd put last night certainly kind of in, in the conversation with 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 those three for best of the season. Your piece on the game uh, has just come out this morning. How West Brom shut down Rooney and Bird to move uh, to move step closer to promotion. Uh, and I've just read through it now, and it kind of echoes everything that I, I saw in the game because this was a match between two sides who like to get the ball down and play and like to dominate possession. But in slightly tweaking their style of play, West Brom were able to to kind of grab hold of the game. They were. I mean, I spoke before the game to to Ryan Conway, who's at our Derby writer of the Athletic, and we were talking about how Derby have have gone about this this great run they've been on, and and Ryan stressed how important the um the, the midfield two of um of, of Rooney and Max Bird have been. Now, as as it turned out last last night, Rooney moved a bit further forward and, and played as a ten, and Graham Shinney came in alongside Max Bird. But it, it was the same the same system, and West Brom really cleverly Slaven Bilic changed their format changed their formation slightly. They they went back to the the four two three one, which was actually really successful. Earlier in the season, but hasn't worked so well of, of late because Matthias Pereira hasn't been been able to to find the space as an orthodox number ten to play. To play, but it, I mean, it worked a treat last night because he made a subtle little change where Romain Sawyer has been the deepest of, of the three in midfield, but it, he switched that round so uh, Jake Livermore became became the deepest one one of the two, which which kind of released um, Sawyer's to to get a bit further forward and get get on the ball in in the areas that Derby would have wanted to play. Um, and I mean, they completely shut down this Derby midfield, which has been has been so effective to the point where Rooney was was going all over the place just to try to get on the ball because West Brom were just cutting off all, all the supply line to it. We've talked before about the array of talent that Bilic has to choose from, especially in that three behind the front man. Uh, and he's gone with various different trios, different methods, different shapes since the restart. Last night, it was Pereira uh, with Grady Diangana and Kamil Grosicki. It's fair to say that basically since Hull, since the Hull fixture on the weekend and last night, those three have been absolutely purring as well. I, I think so. I mean, I, I don't pretend to be a tactical expert by, by any means, but I think I, I wrote a piece a few, a few weeks ago for, for The Athletic where we spoke about that 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 system, the four two three one, and Pereira as as the ten, and how how sometimes it's worked early in the season and hadn't worked worked of late. And personally, I think that it's fairly clear that the key to Pereira working well as a number ten is to is to have pace either side of him on in the wide positions, so the game gets spread. Um, the fullbacks can't 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 really tuck in because they're having to stick tightly to to the quick to the quick wingers. And that's what happened last night. I mean, you've got Dean Garner wide on the right, where he hasn't really played much much for West Brom, and, and Grzycki wide on the left. And, I mean, they're both lo- lightning quick, which just really opened up the game for for, for Pereira particularly, but also rem- remains Sawyers, who who I thought on the quiet was was probably my man of the match last, last night. He was, back, he was back to his best, kind of slightly more liberated, so that he wasn't sitting in front, in front of the back four. And, yeah, I thought, I thought that combination, that three, 
was really pivotal. So it's a slight worry for West Brom looking ahead that Dean Garner got a, a slightly tight hamstring last night. So if he's if he's not available, you do you do wonder whether that four two three one will will work quite as well. Looking at the table as it stands, recording kind of before the the Leeds Stoke game, West Brom are top with eighty points. Uh, and they are five points clear of Brentford and Fulham. Brentford, who keep on winning. Fulham, who West Brom have to face in a couple of games' time. Next up, it's a trip to Blackburn, who maybe reignited their own playoff hopes with a win at Cardiff midweek. Not quite there yet, Steve, but it does feel like a win against Blackburn at Ewood would surely signify that West Brom are going back to the Premier League. Yeah, you you think so. I mean, I, I, I said before before we... Return from lockdown that I thought four wins would probably probably be enough to get to get West Brom over the line. Well, they've got three of them in the in the last three games. I mean, look uh, looking at the form Brent, Brentford are in, I may have to kind of rev- revise that a little little bit, and it, it may, may take may take more than more than four wins. But like you say, I think if they were to win, to win at Blackburn, that, that that puts a hell of a lot of pressure on, on Brentford. I mean, that they they could barely afford, afford to drop any points then in the, in their remaining games. So. I mean, we say this kind of every few days at the moment, but it does feel like a really big game at Blackburn. I think it's fair to say that West Brom were comfortably the better side last night. Uh, just to touch on, on Derby, uh, I felt that they looked a little bit tired, which is, is not surprising. A, there's a lot of young players who are playing a lot of minutes that they won't have been used to playing uh, in such sort of uh, a tight schedule, I suppose. Uh, they'd also point to the absence of Tom Lawrence, who's suspended, Martin Waghorn, who's suspended, both of those guys getting straight reds in injury time, which we also saw last night with with Louis Sibley. And um, One positive from a Derby perspective, and Ryan Conway has written about this on the Athletic site this morning, well worth a read, and you couldn't get away from the fact that the youthfulness of Derby sides certainly by the end, was very notable. Eight academy graduates on the pitch at one time for Derby County. It may not have been their best performance, but you have to be pretty excited about this group of young players coming through for Derby. Steve, thank you so much for for joining us on the podcast. As always, giving us the inside info uh, on all things West Bromwich Albion. We're not sure whether we'll be talking to you on this podcast next season, uh, but for very good reasons. uh, And we hope to talk to you again before the end of this campaign. Look forward to it, guys. Thank you. Great to speak to Steve there, Steve Maidley, uh, the West Bromwich Albion writer for The Athletic. And as I mentioned to him, West Bromwich Albion are top of the league as we record. That is because Leeds are playing this evening against Stoke. And, you know, those two are having to be kept on their toes because one side just behind them, Brentford, keep on winning. They beat Charlton midweek 2-1. But Ali, this wasn't the win to nil kind of plain sailing that we've got used to seeing from Thomas Thomas Franks Brentford in recent weeks. It, it wasn't quite. And look, five games in such a short period of time, there's no team that has maintained a a specifically high performance level throughout and Brentford started their game against Charlton a little bit slowly that they, they weren't they were not performing to the same level that we've seen in the previous few games they were slow to get going and one thing we know about Charlton especially in games against teams towards the top of the table this season they have been bang at it against the, uh, the those teams towards the top end that speaks definitely to the match preparation from Lee Bowyer and the game plans but also the character of the team and, and Charlton caught Brentford napping a bit they scored a good goal to go 1-0 up uh, a good header from Macaulay Bond nice play down the left from a, a youngster Alfie Doty who kind of sums up everything that's impressive about this Charlton side and also underlines the the problems or the difficulties that Lee Boyer has had 
both last summer in recruitment and in January with various players leaving and injuries as well. Uh, and even those four or three players rather who decided they weren't going to take part in these games post COVID. So uh, they were one and up and it really took Brentford until after half time to get going, but they did ramp up the pressure. It always felt that they would find their level. And Ben Rama, in fairness, who's who's a player that we love, but I've definitely said before that he can drift in and out of games. He was the one that really took charge here and dragged his team forward. He won and scored the penalty that leveled things up. Uh, and then in fairness, again, it, it was kind of one way traffic, but Charlton defending resolutely, showing great character. The problem is with Brentford at the moment, if it's not joint top scorer in the league, Ollie Watkins, with 23 league goals that will hurt you. If it's not Mbomo, who's got 15, or Ben Rama, who's now on 15 as well, it's a set piece. And that's where Brentford have become so good, certainly since the turn of the year, since hiring a new set piece coach. They are just deadly from these. Uh, and it was just, a, it, it was a bit of loss of concentration from Charlton, a short corner that ended with a, a perfect delivery onto the head of Ethan Pinnock and Brentford taking all three points, five straight wins since the restart. You'd be tearing your hair out watching these results if you're a Leeds or a Baggies fan, but it's making it very exciting for the rest of us. Uh, elsewhere in the playoff places, George, actually two of the teams within that played each other, Fulham and Nottingham Forest on Tuesday night. How did that one go? It was a, a big result for Fulham uh, at Nottingham Forest. Forest's hopes of sneaking into the automatic promotion race if West Brom or Leeds slip up is probably over now but credit has to go to Fulham here because we spoke after the the Leeds game when Alexandra Mitrovic elbowed Ben White in the face and got a retrospective ban for three games and it seemed very unlikely we were going to see Fulham push on forward and I even mentioned the possibility that without Mitrovic they could find themselves looking over their shoulders but since then three victories they were 1-0 down against QPR in the first of those games but this is certainly the most impressive and we've seen in Scott Parker I would say Scott Parker the player coming through is Scott Parker the manager because they were without Mitrovic here they were without Tom Kearney as well but it was a resolute performance full of grit full of a defensive quality that we have seen from them but also they just kept Nottingham Forest at arm's length something that most teams have struggled to do so far this season so a really important victory for them you could see the relief from Scott Parker after the game and he mentioned you know, despite the fact there's a big old gap at the moment, he mentioned they've still got to go to West Brom and you feel like that feels like a bit of a free hit to them now if they can get a result there and claw back some of that that gap back on West Brom. He's not ruling out a, a top two finish. And the other game, Ali, was Cardiff 2, Blackburn 3. Blackburn, I think we said that their playoff charge was over, but after this go this game of ridiculous goals, maybe that's not the case. No, absolutely not. And look, that was the place to be for entertainment in midweek, the Cardiff City Stadium. And without meaning to be rude, it's been a while since you can say that, really. Uh, although they're an impressive side and, and have become something of a winning machine under Neil Harris, um, the, the goal expectancy in their game tends to be low. That's because they're excellent defensively and they probably struggle to create chances at the rate of a top-level championship side. But... Um, for for whatever reason, this was the uh, this was the game for excitement. A three two win for Blackburn, but not just that. The the quality of goals was magnificent. Will Volks, uh, who joined Cardiff from Rotherham last summer, we were so impressed with the way he played in Rotherham's relegation campaign. We thought he'd be a really good signing for Cardiff.
Cardiff. It's definitely fair to say that it took him a while to find his place in the team, but recent performances have been drawing a lot of plaudits from uh, Bluebirds fans. He scored a beautiful little half-volleyed dink with the outside of his right foot from the left-hand edge of the box over the goalkeeper. It was absolutely brilliant and was completely outdone, sadly, by the winning goal, scored from 45 yards, first time lobbing Alex Smithies uh, from Adam Armstrong, who is just having an amazing second half of the season for Blackburn. When Bradley Dack picked up that long-term injury, I think everyone would have predicted that they would drift away from any sort of playoff challenge. They would move towards the middle of the table and probably stay there. But their playoff tilt is in no small part down to the form of Armstrong and the way that he has filled Dak's goal-scoring shoes, his boots, I should say. 11 goals in 23 games for him. uh, And it was the most spectacular of the lot. For, For Blackburn, it reduced the gap between themselves and Cardiff to five points, still some way to go, you'd say. But for Cardiff, this was not a welcome result because it allowed some of the chasing pack to get even closer to them than Blackburn are. Uh, And George, their fierce rivals, Swansea City, did just that on Wednesday night. It's amazing how the championship table can kind of catch you napping because suddenly you open it up today and there's Swansea (laughs) sitting in seventh position, just one point away from Cardiff and they have put together there's not a lot of time for napping at the moment George there's a game (laughs) every like three hours caught napping by how quickly these teams can move around but you know Swansea (laughs) are now in a position where I mean the fixtures don't look too kind their next game is against Leeds they've then got to go to Nottingham Forest but they are now one point shy of Cardiff and this was another impressive performance from them Uh, there seemed to be some murmurs of discontent amongst Swansea City fans about manager Steve Cooper and maybe that's in part due to the incredible start to the season they made which may have heightened expectations beyond what was necessarily fair but they've certainly got a side at the moment with Rian Brewster again at the front of it getting the first goal here that looks to be absolutely oozing quality a possessional based system that also has a bit of bite up top, you know, we're going to talk, we've spoken already about the, the Derby game. Derby had a lot of possession yesterday, but just never really looked like scoring. Whereas Swansea can combine the two and control games, but also are able to create those chances. And having someone like Brewster with that quality is certainly beneficial to them. And to come back from behind as well was really impressive here. They went behind to a Djukovic uh, stooping header. He scores all manner of goals, but they're normally headers. And and they came back into the game really strongly and were good value for their for their victory. And you know, Cardiff, um, when when they thought they'd they'd got rid of Derby, suddenly they've got their their local rivals hot on their heels. And that is certainly a story that I'm very much looking forward to following for the last four games of the season. Which of those Welsh clubs can force their way into that that final playoff spot? But it's not just them, because finally it's taken a while, but Preston back amongst the points and back amongst the goals. Yeah, absolutely. They got a big win against Sheffield Wednesday and there's quite a lot to get through. I just wanted to touch on something you said about some quite bad vibes uh, amongst the Swansea City fan base uh, at different parts of the last few weeks when they haven't fulfilled that potential, the quality that they can have when they've been so inconsistent. And I realise it's kind of the same with Preston and their fans as well. The expectation that comes... Uh, And the hope that comes, maybe more pertinently, with being close to the playoffs is enough to drive any fan mad because you know that your team are good, but these sides just outside we've seen consistently, whether it's Swansea or Preston or Blackburn or Millwall, Bristol City since the restart, they just aren't quite good enough or haven't been consistently good enough 
to be a top six team. And I think it's the heightened hope that actually makes the emotion stronger. And that, and then when a poor result comes, um, there's there's sort of a lot of hand wringing. And we've certainly seen that with, with North End fans in the last few weeks because their return uh, from the break was really poor. And of course, they've been in and around to use a footballing phrase, the playoff places all season. So again, that heightened expectation and hope brought on by that has heightened the disappointment. But nothing like that last night because this was a welcome performance and a welcome contribution from Alex Neal's substitutes. Last weekend, I think it was, although I've slightly lost track of who played who when, they lost to Cardiff and it was a tight game that changed in the last 20 minutes because of the quality Cardiff's subs brought to the table and how much... Preston's performance levels dropped in the last 20 minutes. And that's happened too often for Preston North End this season, losing points due to just trailing away in games rather than getting stronger, getting that impact off the bench. Completely the opposite on Wednesday night. The perfect storm for Neil's subs. Between Jaden Stockley, Scott Sinclair, Daniel Johnson and Brad Potts, they scored or assisted each of the three goals in their 3-1 win. This was also a win from behind because Wednesday had taken the lead. Uh, shout out to Big Adtame Nuhu, by the way. I have a theory that when really <laughs> good things... Name. Yeah, I have a theory that when really good things happen in midweek fixtures, uh, in the evenings and night times, they get less sort of buzz, certainly online, than, than the weekend. I think it's because the game's finished late and there's less chance for reaction and, and for clips to do the rounds and things like that. But New Who Use Assist is like Dennis Burkamp in his prime. Absolutely <laughs> belying any sense that he's just a lump. A lovely little back heel uh, into the path of the goal scorer. So I wanted to point that out. But uh, the flip side for Wednesday is that for the third game in a row, they looked the better side for half of the game and then folded like a pack of cards. And look, we know that Gary Monk's got a huge job on his hand this summer. There's going to be a big squad overhaul and it'd be fascinating to see where they are come September because currently there's clearly a problem with, with character and with just continuing to maintain performance levels when they start games well. Um, Bristol City had their first game uh, post Lee Johnson. He was the longest serving manager at this level, uh, but he was sacked after defeat to Cardiff on the weekend. Uh, the current favourite is Chris Hewton, a uh, short price favourite as we record this on Thursday. I think general consensus amongst the fan base is that this would be something of a coup for them, the sort of manager they wouldn't have been able to attract in, in previous well, times of vacancy, shall I say. Uh, and there's a lot of excitement about what he might be able to do with this team who's just been on the cusp of the Championship top six for, for a year or two now. Um, but they did get a win under Dean Holden, the caretaker, uh, against Hull. It was a 2-1 win and, and it would be wrong to say that everything was fine and they were dominating this game. Both sides created good chances. Hull's uh, youngster, Scott, looked very lively in this one. But the, the difference between the two sides was Jamie Patterson. Bristol City attacking midfield player who just showed off everything that's good about him uh, with a beautiful assist for, for Mara Jeju, a sort of disguised through ball, um, just um, just slipping it between about three defenders into Jeju's path who had an easy finish and then topped it off, or even bettered it, I should say, with a wonderful free kick in off the bar from 25 yards to, uh, to put Bristol City 2-0 up. So uh, a really impressive performance from Patterson getting Bristol City their first win in a long time. They're still, sadly, six points behind Cardiff and with five other teams between themselves in the playoff places. Um, but if Chris Hewton was watching, he'll certainly have been impressed with what Jamie Patterson can do. Uh, probably the most popular result 
I would suggest, George, amongst the wider footballing world, was uh, was Wigan's win against QPR. A 1-0 win in which big Kiefer Moore scored, uh, a, a brilliant finish and a good goal. His full name's kind of <laughs> That's his full name. Uh, it was kind of more evidence, as if we needed it, that this is a very good, well-balanced Wigan side. And sadly, just currently being completely undermined by a situation off-field that we spoke about with Adam Crafton last week. Um, it, it's moving very quickly. What do you see as being the, the current situation uh, and, and what's changed in the last few days? Well, I'll start with the on-pitch stuff because, I mean, that's a bit easier to quantify. And, and yesterday's results certainly gives Wigan a fighting chance of survival. And it shows that they're not going to down tools. Paul Cook, after the Brentford game, came out afterwards and said that he will, he promised the fans that he would get a reaction and he would lift the players. Um, after what has undoubtedly been a very difficult time. And they got that reaction. They were very, very good value for their 1-0 win yesterday. It could have been more easily. And it looked like the same Wigan side that we saw in such good form before this news. In terms of the off-field stuff, it's a little bit more difficult. Somebody who is much better placed to explain some of the latest um, news is Oliver Kay uh, from The Athletic, who wrote a piece, uh, As Whelan's Wigan Fairy Tale Unravels, Toothless Authorities must wake up and in here I mean it's sad to read about Dave Whelan the former chairman who's so keen to ensure that the club would be put into safe hands after he sold it and just a couple of years later this is the situation now but also a very interesting interview by Dan Roan with Rick Parry on, uh, over the BBC as well and, and this is the inter- interesting thing in my point of view is that there's, as is always the case, fingers appointed at the EFL for allowing somebody who could be this reckless and to be this fickle to take charge of a championship club. Um, and I would just urge caution with that because as Parry says, the question has to be asked why you've got these millionaires deciding they want to buy clubs in the second tier. And, you know, irrespective of what you think about the, the fit and proper test, he, he passed it. And that is the difficulty at the moment. It's all still looking fairly um, troubling for Wigan. Yeah, certainly the short-term human impact we've seen this week, 75 people being made redundant within the Wigan organisation as the administrators look to cut costs. That is one of the impacts in the short term uh, from a human perspective and there's plenty more to sort out. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Paul Cook showing immense quality uh not just as the manager of a football team but also as the sort of um the the most public figure within this organization uh and making individual phone calls on a match day to all of the employees who had lost their jobs um was certainly an amazing touch and one that he didn't really want to talk about when questioned about it saying that 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 wasn't why he did it he didn't do it in order to be picked up by the media uh, but certainly that shows him uh, in a very, very good light and the right person to be um, trying to help the football team steer through what is a a, a time of of crisis off the field. Um, As mentioned, they did get that win. They're in this position where they're appealing a 12-point points deduction. Uh, We do not know how that appeal will go. If we apply the points deduction, as it would be applied at the end of the season, if Wigan are not relegated uh, at at the end of, of the regular season, uh, they are f- essentially on 41 points, which is the same as Luton in 24th, Barnsley on 42, and therefore it's Hull in 22nd, who they currently would be chasing 
uh, in this scenario. So four points between themselves and Hull in 22nd at the moment. Um, but they are clearly an excellent side. And, 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 and you wouldn't be surprised if they were able to get the results necessary. And, and I think there's a lot of hope, certainly from us and from other neutrals, that they would be able to do that. Um, and, and lastly, the only team down the bottom that actually did pick up a win in midweek, George, was Neil Warnock's Middlesbrough. They went to Millwall. I mean, I've never watched an EFL game at 3pm on a Wednesday before, and certainly not when it's not... Uh, I mean, the, the scenario was, I'm led to believe that Middlesbrough, basically, in order not to stay over and have to stay at a hotel with such a long trip back, were able to get the game moved to 3pm. To it was it was very novel. Uh, it wasn't always the most entertaining game, but Neil Warnock will not care one bit about that. A valuable three points for Borough. Um, there was a bit of controversy in this game because the 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 goal that put Borough 1-0 up during a period where Millwall were putting the pressure on sort of midway through the second half. Uh, it was it was a coming together between Fletcher and Cooper where it appeared that Cooper had had his heels clipped. The sort of thing, George, that you see given as a free kick nine times out of ten. An innocuous clip, but just normally given as a, as a free kick, almost because if it isn't, then it can cause a lot of drama. And that's what happened. Fletcher ran clear. It was a two-on-one. Asomba Longa finished it off. Uh, and Gary Rowett, absolutely furious. Warnock, a little bit sheepish about things, I think. Uh, the second goal coming from the spot. Fletcher uh, scoring that one. So uh, a big, big boost for Middlesbrough in their bid for survival. The other game down there between Luton and Barnsley. I sort of previewed it as a game in which a draw didn't really help anyone. Uh, so, of course, they went and drew one all in that game, uh, leaving both Barnsley and Luton with quite a lot of work to do still if they are to pull off a miraculous survival. Harry's sponsors Going Up, Going Down, which is a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced raises. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And, and now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close and comfortable shave. A weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Now, as a listener of Going Up, Going Down, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just £3.95. Support this podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover, by going to harrys.com forward slash going up right now. That's harrys.com forward slash going up. Next up, our attention turns to Monday night, because that is when Oxford United and Wiccan Wanderers will take part in the League One playoff final at, well, an empty Wembley. But Monday's second legs was another example of why there is no better sporting invention than the EFL playoffs. Because on the one hand, you had Oxford drawing one all for the second time in a few days against Portsmouth. Nothing to separate these two teams over the two legs, apart from one missed penalty for Portsmouth. Oxford going through 5-4 on pens. And on the flip side... A game full of fireworks between Wickham and Fleetwood. A tie full of fireworks, really. A 6-3 aggregate score and a famous, famous night for Wickham and their fans. 
We now want to preview the big game. To do so, we've been very lucky to be joined by Oxford United manager Carl Robinson. Let's hear what he has to say about things. So delighted to be joined by Oxford United manager Carl Robinson after a dramatic playoff semi-final victory on penalties over Pompey. I was watching Carl and fair to say you cut a pretty relaxed um, figure on in the dugout whilst watching the penalties. What's it like seeing a whole year's you know, hard work come down to, to a shootout in those kind of high-stakes scenarios? Yeah, even though the stakes were, were incredibly high, um, I just felt that I was never going to judge my players off one kick. So I felt incredibly calm that my players had I've done everything for this football club over the last 12 months and a bit unfair on anybody, Portsmouth included, to be judged on a on one kick of a football. Um, so that's why I was quite calm because uh, I think the world of my players, um, they know how important they mean to me and how much we all mean to each other. And I thought the way we conducted ourselves leading up to the game was totally respectful. I thought we were respectful after the game as well. And it'd be exactly the same moving forward into the final on Monday. We we hold such high regards for every team that we play against in our preparation and in our behaviour and in our in our media team and how we conduct ourselves. So we, we just felt it was another it was another step in the right direction of the 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 way for people foresee our football club from the outside and that's why I, I was quite calm during that. For, for those who don't um, follow the clubs closely, I mean, Oxford are playing Wickham on Monday. People might think it's a local derby, but it's not really a derby in that sense. However, given what happened in the previous time these two sides met, Wickham came to the Kassam Stadium having not lost in 11 games. Adebayo Fenwa was sent off after pushing John Massinho. Oxford won the game 1-0. Ali and I have done some work with Bayo uh, over at Sky Sports since, and he's told me in, in no uncertain terms that he's been looking forward to getting his revenge over Oxford. How important, given the occasion, is it for you to balance both getting your players up for what's going to be a massive game, but also ensuring they don't fall the same way as Fleetwood, who had two men sent off in the first leg of the semi-final? Well, it's wrong if people talk about revenge because revenge is not uh, a sporting term. You, you should look to overturn a result. Um, there's been many things that happen in football games that happen for Wickham against Wickham, for Oxford against Oxford. Um, we were very, very lucky with a tackle, I think, against Portsmouth that we got away with. Um, maybe Fleetwood would say that they were unlucky that they never got away with a tackle in the first leg. We didn't see that as an issue on the day. Um, I spoke to Bale two days after, and he, he, he was saying to me that it was just, he said he couldn't believe he fell into it, and it wasn't a case of falling into it, it's not something that we work on, it's never ever something that is in my DNA to, to cheat an opposition or to do anything negative against anybody. So if people foresee that as a, as a reason to motivate themselves, well that's, that's, that's their, their way of getting an extra few percent out of their team, it's not something that we will use. Um, and we're looking to play it. I've just done an interview before this, and we're playing, I think, the greatest ground in the world. And it's uh, the stage is set to, to play, and we want to play the way we want to play. We don't want to fall into anything. We want to keep our discipline, keep our respect, and keep our football the way we have played it all year. Carl, you're up against a, a Wickham side. Um, let's talk about 
what they can do on the pitch uh, as well as the occasion. Uh, they had a fantastic regular season, of course, came out the block so strong. And this is a side who are, are very good in both boxes, both solid defensively, but also have uh, different ways of, of getting at the opposition and with some players having returned from injury as well. An array of different sort of attacking players as well. When you're talking to your team about what they have to do in order to get the right result next Monday. What are the key messages with regard to what this Wickham team, uh, how they play and how they will try and hurt you? Well, listen, it's how Wickham want to plan their week is, and their style is, is completely down to them. We have a way and we'll worry about ourselves and about what we feel is right for our players or what is best suited for our players. Um, we know where they're good. They know where we're good. I think what you've certainly seen differently in our game and Portsmouth game, I think you've seen two teams have complete respect for each other's strengths, which, funny enough, from a viewing spectacle, makes it quite boring. Um, from a tactical point of view, it's quite exciting as a manager when you know them games are like that um, because you know you're constantly trying to deal with the circumstances of staying within a football game. And we, we've got to make sure this week that we, we focus a little bit more on ourselves, our ball retention improves. We've got to make sure we keep it out of zones. We know that we're going to have to compete for every single, every single free kick that they get. I think they have the highest amount of free kicks given for them in the league. So it just shows you that that you know what's going to come and we've just got to make sure that we don't we just do if all the talking that we can do is pointless all the interviews leading up into this game because sometimes you can talk too much and all of a sudden you can find yourself saying that you've done everything right in the week and you make one mistake and they pounce on it because of how hard they work and you can find yourself one nil down very very quickly against Wickham we just know that we've got to make sure that we apply our style we have a way of playing we will have rotations we'll, we'll have a ball retention and a bravery to our play that we hope that will stand us in great stead Carl I came and spoke to you before the Man City game uh, another massive occasion but obviously the circumstances here are slightly different there's more at stake there's more expectation but there also won't be any fans at Wembley but we spoke then about the psychology and the way that you look to man manage your players given there won't be you know, 40,000 Oxford fans at Wembley Stadium to cheer them on. How does that affect the way that you look to to, to just manage your players before what is such a big occasion? We, we know how big it is. It's arguably one of the biggest game in the club's history in some ways. It's, um, we know it's going to be a di- very difficult challenge. The Man City game was a difficult challenge, as you rightly say, for different reasons. So was the West Ham game. So was the Newcastle game away. Um, so was the, the game against Sunderland to get to the quarterfinals. But the most important game I've managed, I think, was playing Wickham at home when we won 2-1 the season before, um, when we were both under extreme pressure to stay up. And and they're the games that you really look to as a, as defining moments in, in club's history. We could have lost that game and found ourselves in, in League 2 only 12 months ago. The fact that we got the result in the 94th minute that day proves that we had tremendous legs and energy to carry on going. And we know we're under pressure, but we put only by the, only because of the pressure that we put on ourselves, not because of the occasion. It's devastating the fans can't be there. I think just as much as the fans can't be there, I spoke, to, I think, on Sky afterwards saying not having your parents there or your family there or your kids there to witness them sort of days that you want to live with you forever is also very, very difficult for us as sports people being involved in this current world um, because they're the reasons why you do your job, to make your family proud and to give your kids memories that, that they can remember for the rest of their lives. And that's a, a bit of a sad side to the world that we currently live in but we also know and fully respectful that we're still within a, a worldwide pandemic that we know that there's still a virus out there that is still killing people and we're still fully respectful of that 
and we're just at the same time we're equally very thankful that we can actually still be playing football. Carl, we are seriously excited about this game on Monday. It's fair to say. I think, as you've said, it's uh, it, it's one where there's a lot of talking in the build-up, but once the 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 whistle blows, it will all be about what happens on the pitch, and and all the best to Oxford for that. Uh, we're also talking on this podcast about uh, an exclusive that was on the Athletic yesterday about the five substitutions rule, or rather the ability to make five subs, uh, and it'd be really interesting just to get some quick thoughts from you as a manager to give us your perspective. There's uh, Matt Slater reporting that IFAB are set to extend the temporary rule, allowing five subs for all of next season as well, and there's a lot of chat about this because because there's concern that it might affect or it does affect the flow of the game and the fluency of a football match. Uh, there's certainly thoughts that it, it may have an issue in terms of competitive balance and benefiting bigger squads. But it'd be really fascinating to get from a manager's perspective what having two extra subs has meant for you and whether you'd be in favour uh, of it being in place next season and going forward. The rules that IFAB create and send to us, we have to work within them. For me personally... Uh, we're in a current situation where the EFL are looking at reducing the salary caps or having salary caps and reducing squad sizes. So when you've got one group of our organisations trying to create a salary cap with, with very strict regulations involved, and then IFAB are, are sort of governing ruling body in some ways, creating a rule where you can actually use extra players. So it, it will only enhance the better teams who have a greater squad, obviously. But for me, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, I, the more and more you get wrapped up in different rules and disappointed by different rules that get brought in, the more and more it'll just sort of have a, a, a negative effect on you personally. I'm not really too fussed about whether we stay with three or whether we go to five. For me, the five doesn't affect the flow of the game. It certainly doesn't because we can only stop the game three times. Um, equally on top of that, three substitutions. I, I don't always make three. Sometimes I only make two. So I'm very sort of flexible and versatile with the time and my substitutions and the amount that I do make. So for me, it will just give me extra coaching opportunities or extra opportunities to stay in game or to win games or to freshen up games. I get that. But if it's not and we stay at three, it'll be something that we'll all embrace and just carry on with. So I'm sorry if I don't have uh, a very conclusive answer on that, but that's where I sit on it. A final question, Carl, before we let you go and uh, get your players ready for something much more important, as you say, than this interview. Um, but you mentioned in the press that um, the promotion this season is very important to the club. It's very important to the fans in order to see this team playing again. Given the, the situation around coronavirus and the uncertainty into next season, does it feel like this playoff final, because of what's at stake, because of the uncertainty into next season, is maybe bigger than, than we normally see year in, year out? I think for us, to, for us to come out of this and even Wickham were the same, one of us go up, it will certainly plug the hole that coronavirus has obviously created. Um, so from that point of view, from a financial implications on the football club moving forward and keeping hold of our best players, it certainly puts us in a much more of a stronger driving seat moving forward. Uh, so from a board's point of view, we do see it as a massively important game because it does give us that opportunity to financially strengthen the football club moving forward. And, and hopefully in the summer, if we do go up, we can build on that. If we don't go up, we're going to have to deal with the consequences of maybe losing one or two of our better players. So that's the reality of the industry that we work in. The more money this team can bring in, the longer this team can stay together. The less money that this team brings in, the less opportunities they have to play together. And we've used that as a motivation right the way through the season. We've got a tremendous team spirit in here. And I would love to keep this group together moving forward into next year. And my players know there's only really one way of that happening. And 
Monday night will be a, a step in the right direction to making that being the case. Thank you for joining us, Carl. Looking forward to a smashing game on Monday and best of luck. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thanks for your time. Thank you. So another athletic exclusive to talk about on the Going Up, Going Down podcast. A few weeks ago, it was Matt Crafton's work on the investigation into Hull City and their ownership. This week, not specific to the EFL, but something that will have a big impact on EFL football, our viewing of it, but also just the way that the games work next season. Because uh, everyone will have noticed uh, in the playoffs, but also in the championship, that managers have been allowed to use five substitutions. And according to an exclusive by Matt Slater on site this week, uh, world football lawmakers IFAB are set to extend that temporary rule, allowing teams to make five subs in a game for all of next season as well. Some people, Matt writes, are worried that what was meant to be a one-off solution to an unprecedented event will become permanent by next summer when everyone will have got used to 20 strong matchday squads and five options off the bench. We've heard what Carl Robinson thinks about this. George, this is kind of an interesting one because these laws do not pertain specifically to the EFL, but they will have a really big impact on football as we cover it at this level. And the general reaction from fans of the EFL that we've seen so far is really negative. People do not want this to continue to be a thing going forward and permanently. If you look at ways that we talk about improving football, especially at EFL level, it's about levelling the playing field. It's about introducing maybe certain salary caps or measures to ensure that you know, clubs aren't spending beyond their means in order to achieve success to ensure that clubs who maybe don't have that revenue stream aren't too badly hamstrung. And this measure to introduce five substitutes in bigger matchday squads just serves those who are able to have the bigger squads and encourages um, a, a transfer strategy of having very, very big spend because you want to have as, as much quality as you can running through your squad. It seems at odds with everything that we've spoken about in terms of improving the sustainability of football, of improving the way the hierarchy of the of the EFL to the gap between the championship and the league one widening further. You know, Carl is managing a club in Oxford who next season could be in league one or could be in the championship. If they're in League One, they're going to have one of the biggest budgets in the league and therefore having five substitutes you know, up your sleeve is a good thing. If they're going to be in the Championship, they'll have one of the lowest budgets we've probably seen in that division for a few years and, and, will, be, and will definitely be worse off for it. Um, there's so much inequality in football at the moment, especially in the Championship, especially between leagues in the EFL at the moment. And this would just go further to, to, to create those divides. I think it's... You know, if the Premier League want to introduce it, I think that is just somewhat understandable. I think it's so important to keep some autonomy over the EFL and, and ensure that this doesn't happen. One of the other knocks, apart from the issue of competitive balance, which is an obvious uh, consequence of this and, and one that obviously we are not going to support because, as you say, we want there to be more competitive balance, not for it to be chipped away even further. Another one of the knocks is on the flow of the game. Now, uh, I, I think we've only had a couple of weeks, I suppose, and, and what, probably 50 games worth of, of, of EFL matches with five subs. It's not so much that it interrupts the flow of the game because they're obviously right to have a, a rule in place where you can only make 
subs at three separate times, not including half time. So it's not like you could just make five separate subs just to really slow the game down and use that in a in a sort of time wasting manner. Um, but I do think you lose fluency or or even quality in a way. Uh, certainly, and and this might be just rustiness after three months off, but certainly a lot of the subs that have come on have taken a while to get going. And at that point of the match, let's say 60 or 65, 70 minutes generally, you don't really want players to come on who are who are rusty, even if they're fresher, because it doesn't... It, it just anecdotally to me, it feels like you lose a bit of fluency. There's further concerns that clever, in inverted commas, teams and managers will use this basically to augment the use of tactical fouling again that's just not something that improves the uh, the spectacle of football and how we would want EFL football to look but if you can use 16 outfield players or 15 outfield players rather it, it makes it easier to basically rotate fouls and to make sure that that um, that you're spreading out the amount of fouls uh, and taking off players who get booked. And that's, again, just encouraging something that I don't think either of us are, are that keen on. The, the one thing that we've seen in response to this and when it comes from the EFL is could there be a way that the EFL could impose a rule whereby, let's say, two of the five substitutes had to be academy graduates or let's say under 21 players there are a couple of teams in the EFL that don't have academy so it might be a bit unfair to ask them to play academy graduates but let's say young players it's something that the EFL are always keen to encourage that would certainly make it seem more palatable you you can see why that would be a good idea my my worry is how a how feasible that would be and also how beneficial it would actually be um Player development when it comes to young players is such a, a movable feast and there's so many different things at play. I don't particularly buy that this would mean increased quality minutes for young players. And I mean quality minutes specifically because if you're the fourth or fifth sub, in general terms, you're probably getting five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. Very rarely would you get more than that. It's the end of the game. And I would just feel like while it would be a good idea... Would you then be seeing clubs holding on to young players who could do much better with regular minutes on loan, lower down in the pyramid for teams that need them more just because you have this compulsory rule in place where you have to play players of a certain age as your fourth and fifth sub? I think it's a nice idea. I hope that if we move forward with five subs, that something like that is implemented. But I do think it could have potentially a negative impact that isn't being talked about enough players just keeping hold of these young players and essentially stunting their development so uh, look I don't think either of us are that keen on it I think we've both made that fairly clear we should say as well that that Matt Slater's reporting makes it clear that this has been extended to the end of next season it has not been made concrete for forever <laughs> for the whole future of football um, but you're absolutely right to, to suggest that these sorts of things do seem to be creeping into the game and, and being made more permanent. So it's something that that we are not supportive of. We're fascinated to hear what you guys think. The listeners, there's so many different things to think about uh, when it comes to this rule change. Make sure you tweet us at NTT20pod. Any thoughts that you have on the possible introduction permanently of this five substitute rule. <laughs> 
Right, that's us at the end of this week's Going Up, Going Down podcast. Everyone take a deep breath. The football doesn't stop, though. We've got games on Thursday, two on Friday night in the Championship. A full slate of weekend fixtures, of course, and then the League One playoff final. Appointed viewing that on Monday night. Just a reminder that all of the Athletics podcasts, and there are plenty more of them, are available ad-free on The Athletic site if you're a subscriber. Theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFL pod is the place to go if you're not a subscriber for a 30-day free trial. But they're also available uh, on all podcast platforms as well. Uh, fantastic podcasts such as Football Clichés with Adam Hurry. There's a brilliant one called Zonal Marking with Michael Cox, which I personally love. Uh, and uh, and we hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast as well, the Going Up, Going Down pod, uh, and join us next week where we'll be reviewing more midweek action and more big topics across the EFL. We'll speak again then. <laughs>